Hi, and welcome to the Fastest Known Podcast. Today's guest, we have Dr. Teddy Bross. Dr. Teddy Bross is a third-year family medicine resident with training focused on sports, wilderness, and integrative medicine. He's a licensed physician in Colorado and holds certifications for advanced wilderness life support, CrossFit, and American Institute for Avalanche Research and Education. Teddy competes in endurance events from the marathon to the 100-mile distance. He has 10 100-mile finishes, including races such as Leadville 100 and Western States 100, as well as running 107.7 miles on a treadmill in 24 hours. Ouch. Uh, (laughs) Teddy currently resides in Boulder, Colorado, where he cooks cooks vegetarian food, practices medicine, and enjoys the camaraderie of the local trail running community. And as a quick disclosure, um, this podcast is for general information purposes only. No patient relationship is formed. It's not meant to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment, and listeners should not disregard or delay obtaining medical advice and should seek the assistance of their healthcare professionals for any conditions of concern. So (laughs) thanks, Teddy, for being with us here today. Wow. Hillary, super stoked to be here. Uh, Thank you so much for having me on. Yeah. So you, we often have, uh, we share a lot of, you know, training miles and we have a lot of really interesting conversations. So I'm really happy to have you here, um, on the fastest known podcast. So we can kind of talk about, pick your brain about a few different things. Um, and since we're, you know, it doesn't maybe feel like winter in Colorado, but we're in the middle of winter. Uh, I wanted to talk about things relating to the cold. And so we're going to theme this episode on how to kind of prepare for a cold winter adventure and, you know, in the spirit of the fastest known time, um, you know, self-propelled. And so what should we be prepared for uh, when we're trying to go out in the wilderness alone when it's pretty cold or, um, you know, attempting some solo travel? Um, How do we maybe approach it from a training perspective? Um, Yeah, stuff like that. So... And I guess I should have added to your bio. Um, you attempted Nolan's this past year. I did. Yeah, I only made it twelve of the fourteen peaks, though. Oh, okay. So um, it was it was a great attempt, and there was some cold um, out there. I was about to say. I mean, yeah. e- even if we're attempting some sort of FKT um, in the summer months, I mean, especially if we're going out in the mountains, there is some sort of element to cold and having to kind of mitigate that response, uh, that discomfort. I would say, uh, you know, the mountains they have snow year round, so. Mm-hmm kind of have to be prepared. Um, Yeah, so kind of let you, I guess, take it away. Like, where should we start? Yeah, yeah, I'll I'll kind of um, set the stage a little bit here. I mean, um, when I think about the cold, there there are several things that um, kind of are prominent as far as uh, from a wilderness medicine perspective. And that's kind of the the context that I would um, kind of pose this, uh, this topic. Um, and when I when I'm thinking about those, I'm thinking uh, hypothermia, uh, I'm thinking frostbite, um, and then there's a couple other just small minor things, you know, minor traumas or injuries um, that can occur along the way. Um, and then if we can get into it later on, um, depends on how much time we have. Um, we can talk about just like preparation for the cold um, and or uh, altitude events. Yeah, and yeah, actually this is a great follow up because a few episodes 
ago, uh, me and Buzz Burrell, we interviewed Mike Foote and Rob Krar for their FKT that was kind of the rim to rim to rim. Oh, that was incredible. <laughs> so good. Yeah, so they had to go across the Colorado River. In mm-hmm. This is December 31st, so the dead of winter there. Uh, in pretty cool temps. And I actually mm-hmm. asked them a question about hypothermia because it was also really cold and windy mm-hmm. once they got out of the water. So, you know, we can, what exactly is hypothermia and how, how do you get it? Cause these parameters I wasn't exactly familiar with. Yeah, that's great. And I think hypothermia is a good one to start with. Um, and, and essentially uh, the way we define hypothermia is actually when your body temperature drops below 35 degrees Celsius. Um, and Which is in Fahrenheit? Oh boy, um, <laughs> I don't know. I have to go back and look. I know thirty-seven is like you know ninety-eight point five, whatever your yeah, normal so, body temperature. So it's is. it's I would say within five to ten degrees. Yeah, yeah. So I think below ninety mm-hmm. degrees Fahrenheit. Yep, that sounds about right. I'm, I'm not no good at uh, math on the fly here, mm-hmm. Hillary. Um, but uh, so um, keeping your core body temperature above that, um, you know, your body uses a lot of different mechanisms in order to maintain heat uh, control. Um, your body is constantly losing heat. Um, we lose it through uh, methods of, you know, radiation, um, conduction, convection, um, and evaporation. And in the, in, you know, when it's hot outside, your body is using that to its advantage. Um, however, when we're out in cold environments, um, those are all the things that we're trying to prevent. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and really, when you think about those, the two biggest ones are, are um, you know, wind uh, and moisture. Uh, and the setting that you just kind of proposed there with... Um, you know, the alternative rim to rim, uh, to rim crossing, right? Um, you are having to cross the Colorado river. And so you're exposing yourself, uh, to cold, you're exposing yourself to water. And then when you get out, um, there's convection, um, cooling with the wind. And, um, when, when you have that you know, that scenario set up, you, you've kind of put yourself in a position where, um, it's perfectly suited for hypothermia. Um, you're losing, Mm -hmm. your body is losing, uh, temperature, uh, in all of those methods, um, in that scenario, and really, as um, you know, people who are exercising, you're trying to prevent all of those things. Um, really, when you're exercising in the cold, uh, you pretty much don't want to sweat because it's you know putting uh, putting moisture on the surface of your body. Mm-hmm. Um, ideally, uh, depending on how long you're going to be out there exercising, um, any amount of sweat on your body is something that could um, put you at higher risk of hypothermia. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, when, when we do see someone who is at risk for hypothermia, one of the first things that we do is we dry them. Um, we try to get them out of wet clothes um, as long as their core body temperature is not below 32 um, degrees Celsius. And, and, and mainly because um, in that scenario, um, if you drop colder than that, um, you can actually warm the clothes around them um, a little bit easier than maybe stripping them off and exposing them to elements. Mm. Um, and so there's so many different factors, especially out in the, the wilderness, that you're trying to take into account. Um, so we kind of talked about the moisture one. Um, the second one really is the convection cooling with wind. Um, and that's uh, basically what happens is the wind particles kind of um, moving air um, over the skin. And anytime you have moving um, air uh, over the top of the skin, your, you know, your radiant heat is kind of leaving your body at a faster rate. So this is actually, I like, okay, so I, I do a lot of workouts on a bike trainer mm-hmm. um and you know one of the joys of you know riding a bike outside is you don't really feel hot and i feel like i'm not sweating as much because it is this this wind that's cooling me down but then mm-hmm. as soon as i'm inside on a trainer i sweat so much and i get so hot it's because there's the absence of this convection oh it's huge it, yeah it, I, i'm saying the word correctly right yep okay convection, convection cooling, cooling because yeah. this is also different from evaporative cooling which happens mm-hmm. 
that's basically how we cool ourselves with sweat. That's right. So this is the convection is really important distinction because of the involvement of the elements, right? That's correct. Yeah, and it's really those moving particles. Um, and you'll see a lot of people, even on bike trainers, they're actually, um, you know, they'll get, um, you know, fake wind sources almost, <laughs> and, and you know, and uh, um, you know, basically putting a gigantic fan in front of them to try and simulate that um, convection cooling. Because you're totally right. Um, when you get on a trainer, you miss that um, aspect. Um, and uh, when you're out doing something in the wilderness, um, what you find is that the more exposed that you go, so the higher up you go in a mountain or the more um, flat land that you are without uh, any tree cover, um, those winds can be like huge, very mm -hmm. significant as far as um, putting you at high risk for, for low body temperatures. Um, is this the thing that we get into from, kind of from exposure to the elements where people can die from quote unquote exposure? This is one of the factors, potentially? It's definitely one of the factors. Um, you know, the, the biggest one there is, um, is that it, it's multifactorial, to be honest. Um, you, you don't really get um, one, one of those um, kind of processes causing hypothermia. Um, the body is actually pretty dang good um, at adapting. Um, and, uh, you know, everyone has experienced shivering before. Um, and shivering is one of the first things that your body does um, to kind of prevent that, uh, that bo entire body cooling, essentially. Um, and, you, you know, you, um, there's something that's called cold shock. Um, and what we uh, kind of talked about with that crossing the, the Colorado River, getting out on the other side, it's probably not long enough for your body to actually go through hypothermia. It's probably more of a cold shock scenario where you get out, you feel freezing, you start to shiver like crazy. Um, and in that scenario, you know, your cardiac output is increasing a ton. Um, so your heart is punch, uh, pushing out a bunch more blood. Um, you are ramping up your uh, metabolism. So your body starts using glycogen very rapidly. Um, and that's mainly for the muscles, which then start contracting at a very quick rate. Um, and that's what shivering is. It's just mm. muscle contractions that are um, actually inefficient muscle contractions um, because they are producing heat instead of uh, mechanical energy. Um, and so you shiver in order to produce heat for yourself. And that works pretty well, um, you know, as long as you are in between that about 30, 32 to 35 degrees Celsius range. Mm -hmm. Oh, man. And so I also think about that when I'm running in the cold. Mm -hmm. And we actually, we talked about this a little bit. I necessarily don't feel hungry, as hungry. Yeah. Um, but I think I've gotten into trouble where I will experience just low energy or I'll start to feel like I'm bonking. Um kind of too late before I've received any cues that I actually need to be eating. And I think this is because of this is my body is trying to stay warm and I'm using, you know, so much more energy mm -hmm. to do this, but I might not realize it. I mean, this kind of brings us into after talking with, with Mike and Rob uh, a few weeks ago, um, you know, they, they didn't realize that they had to continue eating. I think they were just so, they wanted to get moving, get warm. Absolutely. And then I think yeah. kind of a low part comes after that. And then, you know, they were climbing out of the canyon. So. <laughs> yeah. And you set that up perfectly, yeah. you know, because um, actually one of the first things that you do want to do, as long as you um, are able to shiver still, yeah. um, actively moving your body is going to, again, that, that promotes bigger muscle movements. Right. Um, and uh, bigger contractions because anytime we exercise, it's why exercising in the heat is terrible because <laughs> um, essentially your body is trying to give off heat in a heated environment um, and it makes it very difficult. Yeah. Um, and, and so in these scenarios when it's cold outside, uh, if you start shivering, moving your body with exercise can be a really great way to get your body warmed back up. Mm -hmm. But exactly what you said, 
your body is preferentially at that point um, utilizing higher amounts of glycogen in your muscles mm -hmm. in order to both main you know get your body core body temperature back up um, as well as then you know utilize these big muscles um, for motion mm -hmm. um, and so you're totally right in that scenario where um, immediately after kind of getting out uh, the other two factors that kind of play into hypothermia getting out of cold water like that are uh, dehydration and um, you know those those uh, quick sources of glucose. Um, you know your body is going to use glucose very quickly. Right. Um, gets into your bloodstream very fast after you take it in. Um, and uh, so you know getting in a good. Um, you know, I'm going to say a, a healthy sugary snack, but that hmm. doesn't sound right. <laughs> I don't know. As athletes, maybe we don't uh, have the best diet sometimes. But yes, uh, consuming a good sugary snack um, immediately after um, getting in some water. Like a um, high glycemic index type of yeah, like something quickly metabolized. Yeah, like honey. Um, mm -hmm. Honey products seem to work pretty well. Um, you know, there's so many of those, uh, you know, like sports goos and things like out mm -hmm. that out there um, that do work really well. Um, but getting something like that in um, can be very beneficial to help bring that core body temperature up and prevent that, um, you know, that kind of uh, lack of energy that kind of comes later on when your body all of a sudden realizes like, wow, we've utilized all of the glu uh, glycogen stores in the muscles. Mm -hmm. um, just to try and warm back up. Yeah, and that's I think that's important. I mean, it, like I've I've listened to several uh, physiologists talk about kind of you know anaerobic versus aerobic, so use of oxygen or not. Mm -hmm. um, and I said that the other way, so it'd be like absence of oxygen or use of oxygen. Um, and it's more about the like the types of muscle fibers, but we won't get into that. <laughs> but basically, the the take home point there is that upon shivering, you're using your stored energy. Mm -hmm. So this, it's even more important to stay on top of nutrition because if you get too cold, it's, it's like, you know, if you've, if you've gone out too hard in a race and you've used all of your, your energy stores, your glycogen stores, mm -hmm. then you can kind of hit that wall. This is exactly the same concept. So it's even more important to stay on top of it nutrition. Is. It is. You're right. And, um, you know, if you, if you dive into the literature, um, you can show that, uh, you know, bouts of cold, um, and shivering, the body will eventually switch over to fat burning. Um, mm -hmm. And, you know, brown adipose tissue um, is uh, something that we could um, talk about um, maybe more at a later time. But it's, it's actually a, um, a tissue that preferentially burns um, fat in order to pr uh, promote heat. Mm -hmm. um, so it, it pretty much just uses heat um, uh, and no mus muscle contraction or anything like that um, in order to warm the body, body back up. Mm. Um, and eventually the body does get there. Uh, however, in that acute scenario where you're talking about cold exposure and you're shivering, um, your body is preferentially using whatever is immediately available, mm. um, which is the glycogen that's in your muscles. Yeah. And as an athlete, that's super important. Yeah. Okay. And so besides, you know, carrying extra snacks and having maybe a windbreaker, I think this is always mm -hmm. something that's essential in my pack whenever mm -hmm. I go on a high, a high peak adventure, no matter if it's, you know, sunny in the, uh, at the base I always bring extra layers just for this to kind of protect myself if I That's do great. get cold. Yeah, um, we, we can talk about those a little bit too. Yeah, if you'd like. I mean, or we can can, can kind of continue on with the, the different ways of losing heat. We talked oh, sure. about. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we first talked about well convection. That was that was it. Yeah, so we talked <laughs> about convection cooling, um, and that's, you know, wind passing over. Mm. Um, we talked about, um, you know, when you're in the water, um, your body is essentially like uh, it's losing heat at a very rapid rate when you're mm -hmm. in a body of water because it's conductive heat loss. Mm -hmm. um, those water molecules are budding right up against your body. Um, and then there's also a convection with if there's any current. Mm -hmm. So if you're going across a river, um, <laughs> you're actually getting um, convection with moving water uh, particles 
uh, moving across your skin. Um, Is this kind of the same concept with snow? Um, similar. I mean, um, with snow, you know, the, the wind is more of the convective mm -hmm. cooling loss. Yeah. Um, if, if that snow lands on your body, your body is going to be higher than, you know, um, freezing temperature of water. Mm -hmm. And so that snow is going to melt and promote more moisture at, at the mm -hmm. skin, um, which puts you at higher risk than um, with, you know, kind of moisture on the skin and that wind blowing across. Um, mm -hmm. So that's putting you at risk for hypothermia. Yeah. And so, yeah, okay. So, I mean, I know everyone who's doing an FKT. I mean, there are some that involve bodies of water. Like I'm thinking about the one on the Grand. Yeah. <laughs> the, I forget what that's actually called. Um, uh, it'll come back to me. Uh, but uh, if you're not crossing a body of water, sure. yeah, what other ways are we talking about how we can kind of prevent this or prepare if we're going out in the wilderness? Yeah, that's great. And, and I think... Um, you know, the, another big scenario that people run into, especially with FKTs, is going up and over mountains. Um, and we had talked about altitude just at the beginning, a short little intro. And what I'll tell people is that, you know, for about every thousand feet that you go up in altitude, the temperature does drop about five degrees Celsius, um, uh, five, four to five degrees. Um, and so your, your temperature is dropping quite a bit as you're going up um, a mountain. And so to remember to pack layers is very important. Um, and what I would say the most important kind of layers to pack are things that are going to, where you're going to be losing a lot of heat. Um, we have big vascular beds in our hands and in our feet, uh, making sure that we keep those areas dry um, and warm uh, is, is important. Even if you're exercising, um, bringing an extra pair of socks if you're crossing a body of water can be very important, especially even if it's just a small creek mm. um, or if you're starting off in snow. Um, and, and sometimes um, if in an FKT, depending on if it's supported or unsupported, it can be very important to have additional um, footwear uh, you know, you cross a snowy area or you cross a body of water, changing shoes, um, changing socks. Uh, everyone knows that feeling where it just makes your feet feel so much better um, mm. to get dry things on there. Um, and that's because you can lose a lot of heat through your feet. Um, similar scenario, uh, you want to make sure you have some gloves, um, especially if you're going up mountains in the cold. Um, most people uh, during exercise, those vascular beds will dilate and um, you will produce a pretty good amount of heat um, from your hands uh, however, uh, the peripheries, so uh, meaning your fingers and your toes, your nose and your ears, um, those are all the areas that are highest risk for cold injury called frostbite. Mm. Um, and so if we're, we're talking about that, you know, making sure that the skin is covered is going to be most important. Um, you may even want to have different uh, level, levels of gloves, right? So you may start off with just a very light pair of uh, cloth gloves or something like that. Um, and then going all the way up to like a big pair of mittens, um, keeping the fingers together. Uh, is going to be much better than gloves, which will separate the fingers and, and put them at higher risk. Um, you know, and, and so uh, we can talk a little bit more even about um, kind of cold injury to, to your peripheries, like uh, for frostbite, if, if you want to. Yeah, sure. I mean, I, I don't know if uh, it feels, I mean, I've never been in that situation. Maybe, um, you know, if I've been skiing mm -hmm. and it's been super windy. Um, but definitely it's felt that way maybe on my face, like my nose or definitely my feet. Sure. Um, with running though, um, I feel like a good way to warm up. I've actually had my feet be the coldest going on an uphill. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, when I'm going on a downhill, it's a good way to kind of force, I think, blood back into them. Um, but yeah, I mean, especially because that's something that I always worry about too, is, you know, if, uh, you're out there by yourself and you're trying to set this time that's actually pretty fast, but you don't really, you don't want to sweat too much or get yourself into trouble. How do you mm -hmm. balance that? Because if we're going into FKT, it's generally people are going pretty, pretty deliberately, pretty hard. Yeah. I think it's different than, you know, a training run, but you know, things can happen. So how, 
I think maybe it's just a layering question. It definitely is. And I mean, um, what's kind of fun about FKTs is that you have FKTs that are, you know, going to take people less than an hour. You have FKTs that are going to take people several days, right? And you've interviewed people that have, you know, done these kind of wild, crazy, multi-day um, FKT <laughs> multi attempts. Multi-month. <laughs> FKT attempts, which is just insane. I mean, that's so yeah. cool. Um, and so you, you definitely your, um, your effort level is going to be geared towards that FKT. I mean, you're not going to be blazing down a trail um, if you're doing something that's going to take, you know, several days um, or, or uh, you know, a, a week or, or a month, right? Mm -hmm. um, and so gearing that, um, like hypothermia is, is a big exposure question. Frostbite is a big exposure question. Um, and, uh, you know, people will ask me, what's the best way to treat frostbite or hypothermia? And, and in all honesty, the best way to treat anything out in the wilderness is to prevent it from ever happening. Because <laughs> um, we don't have good ways to treat these things, yeah. um, especially when you're out, um, you know, in the wilderness or if you're doing an unsupported FKT. Um, mm -hmm. It's something where you can find yourself in a very scary, difficult situation. Um, yeah, and this is actually kind of a funny point. It's like uh, you bring in an, a, a first aid kit out with you. Mm -hmm. I mean... In, in my opinion, I think actually Buzz shares this opinion also. I, the first aid kits are a bit, like they're, they're good, but I mean, they have band-aids and things like that. It's like anything that you need to be treated with a first aid kit can kind of go untreated. Yeah, or you could just bring duct tape. <laughs> exactly. For most of the things that come in a traditional first aid kit. I, I think yeah. there are some things that um, could be beneficial for people. Um, you know, and, and I actually um, carrying a little roll of duct tape is something that I do. Um, I have mm -hmm. that in my race vest and um, something that I take on multi-day um, uh, expeditions. When I was on Nolan's, I had a little bit of duct tape with me mm. um, because it sticks to the skin. It can um, yeah. cover up cuts. Yeah. Um, it, you know, you can use it to make a, a splint or a sling if you need to. Mm -hmm. um, so it can be used for a lot of different things. And, and that's what you'll find with um, a lot of the first aid kits meant for wilderness is that the things that are in there are multi-use. Um, you're not going to uh, bring, you know, a bunch of different sized band-aids with you out into the wilderness, especially if you're doing an FKT that lasts a day. <laughs> but you could bring a little bit of duct tape with you, um, and that would be reasonable, especially if you, you know, you could see a scenario where you slip, slide on a rock, um, have a pretty good sized cut, um, and, uh, you know, cer certainly something that you don't want to do when you are uh, trying to go fast is be losing blood. Um, and, and so putting, um, you know, some duct tape over top of that can actually approximate the skin fairly well. Um, and then as soon as you can, you would want to irrigate that out and, and get it clean because um, you want to prevent infection. Um, but, uh, you know, for the most part, um, everything that we do in the wilderness, it, it comes down to that preparation aspect. Um, and so when we're talking about the cold, you said bring layers, and I totally agree with that. Um, making sure that uh, you apply a layer before you start shivering and getting cold can be very important. Um, because once you start that process, your body is really um, putting more energy and more resources um, towards keeping yourself warm. Um, and as an athlete, it can be very important um, to keep that core body temperature up so that your muscles and, and your peripheries are able to um, perform at their optimal level. Yeah, and I'm thinking this is good information even for, you know, 100-mile races. I feel like a lot of people Absolutely. can get into trouble, um, or the, not even just 100-mile races, but ultra-distance races where I, I hear it time and time again um, – They've gotten cold. And Especially then, overnight. Right, overnight. Mm -hmm. I I always think of a race like Run, Rabbit, Run mm -hmm. outside of Steamboat in Colorado. And it's brutal because it can. it's in September. Mm -hmm. It can be brutally hot during the day and then freezing at night. That's right. And people can often drop out because they're not prepared for that or they don't think they need to put on a layer so soon. And then they get, I think the problem is, is get cold, not able to warm back up, mm -hmm. use these, you know, reserved energy stores and just hit a, a low that they can't come back from. That's right. 
um, you know, where you need to like take a nap and have a few snacks to actually replenish those glycogen stores before you can keep going. Yeah. And that's, that's because you're, you're combining a lot of those things we talked about. Um, when you're exercising for that long, most people don't get to mile 70 in a hundred mile race and are super well hydrated and have been consuming food, you know, on the, you know, exactly the way the, their training plan kind of expected them to, right? Most people get like some amount of GI upset. Most people have lacked a little bit of their, their um, fluid intake. And so as soon as the nighttime hits, it's like this worst case scenario for people. Um, and so uh, then all of a sudden they're playing catch up a little bit. And in a race like that, where the temperature drops significantly, um, you know, preparing before you go out of that aid station before the sun goes down can be, you know, um, pivotal for people to actually even finish the race, um, right. to make sure that they bring an extra layer, to make sure that they bring something that's wind resistant, um, to make sure that they have uh, a set of uh, gloves and, and a hat that they mm. can put on. Because um, you lose a lot of heat through your head. Um, people don't necessarily um, realize that. So putting on, um, you know, a good uh, wool hat can be very important for people. Um, and, uh, you know, and then making sure that you're, you're keeping up your fluids and, and taking in some, something to eat. Um, and, uh, that can be hard when you're cold and you're right. tired and your crew is telling you that you have to make it to the next aid station, um, <laughs> you know, in a time that seems impossible. Yeah. Uh, or you, you know, out there have your own, you know, you, or, you know, if you solo travel, you're traveling across these, you know, passes, trails and you might are off trail and you might not know when the next water source is or you know you have to you definitely have to be prepared um i mean and i think actually this is a question i wanted to ask you too is about everyone talks about in the heat how you have to stay hydrated mm -hmm. but how is that different in the cold because i know that sometimes i don't always feel thirsty but That's it's right. actually really important yeah, and um, I would say it's actually more important in the cold. Um, and, and that's especially if you are in the cold by yourself. Um, and uh, whenever I go out by myself, um, especially if it's going to be for you know more than a, an hour or so, um, I usually bring something that's called a life straw with me um, just to have uh, a way to get water if I needed to. Um, and, and that's really important when you're, when you're out there. Um, I can say that if you find yourself in the middle of you know, nowhere and you're feeling dehydrated and, you're, and it's cold out, um, you need to drink water. Um, cold water uh, will certainly cool, um, cool down your core temperature. Um, any way that you can warm that water up mm. a little bit more um, can be important. Uh, if you have somebody who's giving you aid, um, taking in hot beverages can be really important um, yeah. and, and a great way to actually um, warm up your core temperature. Um, it's one of the reasons why hot cocoa became a thing, right? It's just like <laughs> it tastes so good, but it also warms your core when you come in from the cold. Hmm. Um, so don't eat snow. Hmm. <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't eat snow. Um, Unless it's necessary, right? I mean, if it comes down to be, being dehydrated as an athlete um, or, uh, you know, finding some good snow to eat. Um, I've certainly put snow into my water bottles before. Um, and water bottles are usually um, kind of close to your skin and will kind of warm up a little bit as you are exercising. Um, so that might be a good way to do it is as you get low on one bottle, fill it with some snow and then keep going. Um, they make filter bottle tops now, um, mm -hmm. you know, where uh, you can get a single bottle with a filter top on it, um, which is incredible. I love yeah. those. And yeah. usually in the wintertime, um, there's pretty good sources of water all over. Mm -hmm. um, and, uh, you know, but like I said, there, there's really nothing better than a hot beverage. Yeah. And yeah, so I guess in this, is there is there a way that you can actually train or prepare? Um, is it just kind of... It, it, you're you're willing to kind of withstand this discomfort that is cold or is it like when you're you know you're pre preparing for an fkt or you know a big adventure out in the cold is it just 
understanding that it's going to suck and I have to be, be able to kind of endure this? Or is it a something where, you know, I just, you be prepared, you bring enough layers. Can you, is there like a trainability, I guess, like a, like a preparedness to being able to kind of do adventures out in the cold? Like, are you going to tell me to do Wim Hof things or? <laughs> um, well, I think Wim Hof is super interesting. Yeah. And I, I think that might be a topic for another day, yeah. but um, I, uh, you know, there's a saying that there's no bad weather. There's just, you know, poorly prepared people essentially um and so oh, yeah i've heard that there's no such thing yeah there's no such thing, no such as, thing bad. as bad weather yeah. and, and that's mainly because um we've developed so many different ways to keep our bodies warm um that if you do it right um you should be able to keep yourself uh feeling very comfortable it's, it doesn't have to be a suffer fest to go out in the winter um you know and so uh bringing layers is certainly important um anytime that i'm going out in the cold um you know we were gearing up for a morning ski today and hmm. uh had a hot beverage you know in, in a thermos uh, making sure it has a clasp so it doesn't um, spill out into my backpack um, <laughs> that can be super important in um, and it's a way for you to get something that's warm into your body um, another thing that could be great is um, those little heat packs um, usually what I warn people about is don't put them directly on your skin and leave them there without kind of checking um, because they can give you um, small burns um, because they do get really hot um, and so, uh, you know, using exogenous sources of heat like that, um, there's some really great, um, you know, they have heated socks now, um, as well as um, oh, yeah, those are great. heated boots, you know, <laughs> like if you are someone who your toes get really cold when you ski, you should have, you know, like don't fault somebody for wanting heated <laughs> boots. Like, you know, that, that, that you shouldn't have to suffer to be out and, uh, and enjoy the, the, the snow, you know, um, making sure that uh, they make heated vests now, um, oh. which, uh, which is really cool because it heats up um, cool, you know, um, very pivotal areas like on your skin and on your body. Yeah. Um, so they'll have, there's heating um, vessels over your neck, over your chest and over your back. Um, and if you can keep your core warm, um, most people will find that their peripheries will actually warm up very well. I'm thinking about for an FKT travel, it's if I have heated things. Now I'm thinking about the battery that I have or the charger <laughs> yeah, you're right. that I'd have to use. So yeah, so maybe just an appropriate practicing, like the appropriate layering techniques and maybe even these little packs. Actually, so I looked this up. Um, I was wondering about the, you know, because I'm a chemist, so the little mechanism <laughs> behind these little heat packs, it's because you have to kind of like, you know, shake them. Mm -hmm. And this is because um, they're actually little iron shillings. And so um, like shavings, I should say. And so basically these iron particles, they react with oxygen. So when you shake it, you're getting the oxygen in there and it forms iron free oxide. And that is an exothermic reaction. So it, you know, releases heat, releases heat. So cool. Um, and I, and I, Science. Yes. <laughs> and, and it, but that heat is going to actually be, um, you know, it's not a, it's not a temperature that um, you want to leave on open skin, mm. um, especially if you're doing something where you're sticking it in snow boots, um, where people do not want to take their snow boot off and <laughs> move around a hot pack. Um, yeah. I wouldn't put it inside your sock. I would actually keep a layer between that and the hot pack. Um, then, but I, I think that those are really great, and I would um, I try to always have a couple of those on hand because my fingers and my toes get really cold when I'm outside, um, mm -hmm. and, and uh, having that uh, outside source of heat um, can be the difference between number one. Uh, you know, suffering out in the cold. But number two, having cold injury to the, you know, those peripheries. Um, it, it just makes it much more fun if you're able to go out and enjoy it instead of having to worry about being cold the entire time. Yeah, and that's actually not good. Yeah, <laughs> it's no, not a good no. feeling. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I, I usually um, describe suffering as, uh, you know, um, not wanting to be where you are currently. You know, that's <laughs> like a very basic definition of it. Um, and when you are cold out on a ski lift, like, 
that's a beautiful place. It's something that we all enjoy. Like the last thing you want is to not be able to enjoy where you're at and be in that mm-hmm. moment. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, I would say take take a few minutes before you go out, prepare, bring layers, um, grab a hot beverage, put it in the thermos, buy one off Amazon if, if you don't have one, <laughs> um, grab some of those hot, um, hot packs, put those in your backpack. Um, and um, you mentioned uh, battery life out in the cold. Mm. Um, they make really cool um, little packages for your phone um, mm. because these phone batteries, they do tend to drain faster when you're out in the cold. Um, and as someone, especially if you're gonna be out there for quite a long period of time, um, putting your phone on um, airplane mode, putting it in one of these um, kind of uh, uh, warmer packs, mm-hmm. um, that can be really beneficial, um, especially if you end up needing help. Um, mm-hmm. You know, our cell phones work um, in a lot of areas. Um, yeah, not they, all, yeah. not all, um, but they, they can be the difference between, um, you know, in, in, uh, don't, not to be morbid, but life or death in some yeah. situations. And this is hopefully we have you on another time so we can talk about, uh, you know, wilderness preparedness and some kind of wilderness medicine if we're going to go outside and, um, you know, for these FKT or these long adventures, these self-supported or, you know, even if it's just you and a couple friends, um, these adventures and, you know, like uh, pivotal piece of gear is, you know, an in-reach mini, something mm-hmm. like this for you, you know, because if, if any of this stuff happens, hot or cold, but in particularly, you know, with the cold, it's like you just want to be able to get out of there. Um, and so having the, the tools to kind of set you up for that. But I think when we're talking about, you know, definitely the, the cold and, you know, preparing for these types of situations, half of it is just being aware that this stuff can happen mm-hmm. and, you know, looking up the weather beforehand. Exactly. Right? But then, and also I think, it's, it's a matter of practice. Like there's more to an FKT than just knowing the route and mm-hmm. being able to be, you know, in good, in good enough shape to attack it um, and give it a good go. There's a lot more that has to be considered. And part of it is the gear and, you know, practicing those layering techniques, you know, dialing that in to see, okay, well, if it gets, if it gets cold, A, am I experienced enough to handle it? Have I been in the situation before? Mm-hmm. And then B, what do I need? Yeah, and making sure it all fits, right? right. <laughs> uh, making sure it all fits in your pack. Like, especially mm-hmm. if you're doing um, an unsupported FKT, most of the time what it comes down to is you're deciding what you're going to bring and what you're not going to bring because um, weight is a huge um, mm-hmm. condition, something that you need to worry about. And then um, you're also worried about just uh, space in your pack mm-hmm. um, and what things are going to be most beneficial for you. Um, and sometimes, you know, you have to decide, am I going to lug this puffy up, up to the top of a mountain um, in, the ca- in the situation that I may need it for hypothermia? Um, you know, it, it's, a, it's a hard line, yeah. you know, and, and you're trying to make tough decisions. Um, but uh, especially if you're out in a remote area, I think that um, something that I say is that you, you need to be aware of that worst case scenario um, and, you know, be ready to handle it if necessary. Mm-hmm. And I guess in closing, have you ever been in a in a dire situation like that in the cold? Um, <laughs> Aside from just very uncomfortable on <laughs> a windy day. That's good. Um, so I've done several um, hundred mile races and, and have been uncomfortable in the cold. Um, one in particular when I got very cold um, was actually during the bear, um, mm. which is out in Utah. And, uh, you know, the weather in that race is incredible. The year after I did it, they called it the polar bear um, (laughs) because it was like snowing and crazy. (gasps) And the year I did it, like during the day, it was crazy hot. Um, But then at nighttime, the temperature dropped. Mm -hmm. And I really wasn't expecting that. Um, And it was a little earlier on when I was doing ultra races. And I, um, you know, luckily we're going between aid stations, so there's not a ton of time. Um, but I was shivering. I was freaking cold hmm. up on top of a mountain pass. 
um, you know, just begging the sun to come up because I was so cold. Um, and again, I, I put myself in that scenario where I, you know, that was around mile 70 of a, of a hundred mile race. Um, I probably wasn't well hydrated, probably wasn't, um, you know, taking in the calories that I should have mm-hmm. been at that time. Um, and my body just wasn't able to cope as well. Um, and I didn't have the layers to, to make myself feel comfortable out there. Um, you know, in, in what you're running in at seven, mile 70, um, you may be running in a, in a, um, a micro puff, you know, you might mm-hmm. be running in, um, a, in a big coat. Uh, and hat and gloves, which you would never do just jogging down the street. You could never imagine yourself getting that cold, um, even while exercising. Um, but it certainly is possible. And, um, and I think uh, the biggest take home I would say for people is um, if you can prepare for it, um, then that's going to be the best way for you to, to enjoy the outdoors, for you to um, enjoy those experiences and feel comfortable um, and be able to look around and say, wow, what a beautiful place I'm in right now. Instead of going, I hate snow. I hate cold. <laughs> this is terrible. Um, you, you know, we, we can set ourselves up better than that. Yeah. And yeah. so in that race, did you end up finishing? I did. <laughs> okay. I did end up finishing. Yeah. Good. Yeah. Uh, the only thing I've ever DNF'd actually is Nolan's uh, last year. Oh, dang. I know. Well, and this is actually, so, I mean, I lied. Maybe I have one more quick question because it, com- <laughs> it comes up. Um, but the, this idea of, so I remember in your, I've talked to you about your Nolan's attempt and so one thing that can decrease cognitive function is mm-hmm. sleep deprivation. Mm-hmm. And if you want to listen to this, you can go over to my CTS podcast. that's going to come out with Teddy for sleep. Um, however, um, the other thing I think that can happen for decrease of cognitive function, so be, be feeling foggy, not being able to make decisions clearly, if you're you know on a mountain pass or you know in Nolan's, maybe you know you're not able to kind of make decisions or figure out which way you're going. Mm-hmm. I think it's when you're cold mm-hmm. because of that shivering glycogen, you're using that fast sugar because the primary food source for your brain is sugar. Mm-hmm. And so I think kind of being in a perpetually cold state can kind of put you into this, this thing, you know, quicker. You're right. And, and actually um, hypothermia, one of the ways that you can diagnose this out in the field is um, because we see people shivering, you know, they'll be cold. But they want to have hypothermia, you know. Um, usually, the way that we kind of diagnose hypothermia out in a wilderness scenario is um, someone who is shivering, cold, expressing that they're cold, and they can't really take care of themselves. Um, they're not—they're doing weird things, you know. They're—they're they're not able to express uh, their thoughts accurately. Mm-hmm. Um, and in that situation, if you're out there with someone and you notice that, um, you know that—that's a—that's a red—that's a big red flag, right? You need to get them warm. You need to um, help them warm up. Um, and uh, whether you have an outside source of heat, um, that may be the difference between you getting to where you need to go. Mm. Maybe the difference between you finishing an FKT um, mm. is kind of heading that off because in a situation where someone is not functioning the way that they should, um, they're cold. Um, that is a scenario of hypothermia. And, and that is, um, you already are going down that path. Mm. Um, you're already utilizing more resources than you should. You're already um, putting yourself in a, in a bad situation. Um, and so, uh, I, th- I think that's, that's a great kind of, um, closing point there is that, um, you can identify this, uh, in, in individuals. If you're crewing for someone, if you're doing a, um, you know, uh, an FKT with uh, another individual, um, you can look out for each other. Um, and, uh, just, just shivering, um, usually is not a terrible sign, but it means that, um, you're putting yourself at risk. But when you start having that decreased, um, cognitive functioning, um, that is a, a big red flag and you need to make some changes at that point. Um, you know, and, and 
I think that any situation where you are um, getting hypothermic, um, the other thing you can look out for is something that's called frost nip, um, mm. which is small little crystals that form usually on the periphery, so on your nose, on your lips, or on your ears. Um, and uh, that is a, really a situation where um, hypothermia is really um, uh, at, at high risk, and um, frostbite to this area is, is high risk. Um, and so if you ever find crystals forming um, you know, on your peripheries, if you find yourself shivering um, you, or you find a friend of yours um, shivering and, and not really um, thinking clearly, uh, then you need to get some help. Um, you need to make some changes in order to try and warm, uh, warm, warm that person up. Hmm. So, I mean, I have one thing. When in doubt, go uphill. So now when in doubt, put on a puffy. Put on a puffy. <laughs> That's perfect. <laughs> well, thanks so much, Teddy, for being on the Fastest Known Podcast. And yeah, I hope you can be on here again soon. Yeah, what a joy. Thank you so much, Hillary. <laughs>